A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. This is A Mucky Business. I'm Tim Farron. This is the show where you get to hear from a Christian politician about how they live out their life in the mucky business of politics. You may very well think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. Well, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. I think Christians should be involved in politics and they should certainly be praying for their brothers and sisters who are actively involved in an informed way. Today, we are speaking about how to trust God with your future. Joining us is Jane Dodds, a Christian and leader of the Welsh Liberal Democrats. She became an MP in a by-election in the summer of 2019 and then was voted out by the same people just five months later in the general election. So Jane went looking for another job. Now, finds herself back in politics, having just been elected to the Welsh Senate in May. She's learned a thing or two about trusting God when things don't go your way. Well, before we speak to Jane, here's Cara Bentley with a roundup of some of the news this week. Well, Boris Johnson has signed a trade deal with Australia, making it the first agreement to be started from scratch and finalised post-Brexit. And it follows a very diplomatic few days in Cornwall, where he was also asked if he believes in God. The Prime Minister told ITV's Robert Peston that the foolish man has said in his heart there is no God, referencing Psalm 14 and 53, that speak about how people have rejected God. In a more overt way, President Joe Biden tried to show that he was not rejecting God by turning up unannounced at Mass on Sunday with his motorcade riding through the steep, narrow streets of St Ives. In Northern Ireland, the First Minister Arlene Foster has officially stood down and if Sinn Féin approve of Paul Given, he will become the next First Minister, while Edwin Poots will be the leader of the DUP. Given is a Christian and has spoken up about the need for consistency in the restrictions around places of worship, but he's also unpopular among some for cutting an Irish language bursary scheme and for being pro-life when it comes to abortion. But of course, the big news is that England is not unlocking on the 21st of June. It's not going backwards, but it's not going forwards either. Scotland has a varied situation depending on what part of the country you're living in. And Wales is expected to announce what they plan to do this week. But in England, this means another four weeks of the same. Tim, how does this affect your constituents? Well, I guess uncertainty. And for those people working in tourism potentially really large impact on their ability to make a living. I guess the question for all of us is, were we pinning our hopes on lockdown ending on June 21st? In my constituency, as I said, it contains the Lake District, the Yorkshire Dales, absolutely teeming with tourism businesses for whom the continued restrictions do seriously threaten their very survival. The hospitality and entertainment industry is desperate to get back to normal too. And then there's just everybody else who was simply looking forward to more freedom. Now, as a Cumbrian, I am used to climbing mountains, reaching what I thought was the summit, only to discover that there is still further to go. And it can really break your spirit. Today, my social media timelines are full of people who are understandably angry. Some are angry because they want our freedoms returned. Others are angry because they think that the government is at fault for this new wave of infections, having left open our borders, allowing the dangerous Delta variant to get into the UK. And others are angry because continued restrictions could ruin them. Maybe you are angry about the continuation of the lockdown. Is that a right response for a Christian? Anger 
is not a sin. Jesus showed anger towards the tax collectors in John chapter 2. Anger is a justified response to injustice and other wrongs. In Ephesians 4.26, we are told, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Anger can lead to bitterness, hatred, thoughts of revenge. So I think Paul here is telling us to deal with anger wisely, not to let it fester or mutate. Peter tells us, cast your anxieties onto him for he cares for you, which is a reminder that the healthiest, wisest thing to do with our more extreme emotions is to lay them before the Lord. We have the right, indeed we are encouraged, to let it all out in front of God. The book of Lamentations and the Psalms of Lament show that we do not have to keep a stiff upper lip before the Lord, quite the opposite. In Psalm 6, the desperate plea, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? It feels shocking, but it is also liberating. Tempting though it is to take to one's keyboard and rattle out our anger for the world to see, the wisest thing we should do with our anger is to take it before the Lord. He is listening. He can take it and he will answer. If we're angry, frustrated or deeply upset at this ongoing situation, might it be that we are holding God to promises that he never made. But let's humbly hold him to two of the promises that he has made. In James, we find that if you ask for wisdom, God will give it generously without finding fault. When we experience anger, it is wisdom we need in order to deal with it. So when you lament before the Lord, ask for wisdom. He has promised it, so he will give it. And then, of course, God has promised eternal life to all those who believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. I don't think that many of us, me included, live as though this is true. Maybe we are more like those that James condemns in chapter four, who confidently plan for the future without reference to God's will. So when those plans get upended and frustrated, we are crushed because our hope is in the wrong things. Put your confidence in the promises God has made and not in those that he never did. Bring your understandable anger to God and let him teach you the incredible joy of trusting in him in a world in which he has promised that you will have trouble. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. This week we're talking about how to trust God with your future when things don't go to plan. When you lose your job or your sense of purpose and suddenly your future looks very different. My friend Jane Dodds is the leader of the Welsh Liberal Democrats. She is a member of the Welsh Senate for Mid and West Wales since last month and a former member of Parliament, which we'll come on to later. But first, Jane, you are very, very welcome. Let's get started by asking you, how did you first become a Christian? Oh, wow. What a question. So um, I was brought up in a Welsh Presbyterian household in North Wales, you know, Welsh speaking, sort of, you know, what people might think is a Welsh Presbyterian household. We went to chapel uh, three times on a Sunday um, and um, it was very much a kind of traditional hellfire and brimstone. And I thought when I got to 18, I'm going to leave all of this. It was very it wasn't really what I thought Christianity was about. So I went off the rails, then went away to university, you know, did everything that I shouldn't do. And um, really, you know, went into a, an, an abyss, I guess, of sin and, you know, hurting people. Uh, and then I. Um, 
I uh, moved uh, around the country and came to London and my uncle who lived in Swansea just said to me go to this church just just give it a go just go to it see how you get on uh, and that was a local Baptist church and I thought I'll give it six weeks uh, and in that time I kind of slowly thought oh this is all right you know may stay a little bit longer what I liked about the church was that it was uh, a church of social justice it was doing a lot of work with homeless people got involved with that and I guess then I came back to the Lord uh, he kind of dragged me I guess a bit kicking and screaming back to him and I was baptized at that church uh, around um, 15 16 years ago did you ever get a sense and obviously you'd so you'd You'd come back to the Lord. You got involved in politics in a very active and elected way. Uh, did you get any sense that your life's purpose was to be involved in politics, that this was a calling? No, not at all at that time. Um, I, I really liked uh, what the Liberal Democrats stood for in terms of that social justice uh, and that equality. But actually, um, no, I, I didn't. In fact, it was quite interesting because um, I guess as a woman as well, I, I, I didn't feel that, that, you know, that was kind of encouraged or that we could actually achieve anything. Um, and, uh, and and so I just thought, well, I'll I'll, I'll do I'll be the local councillor. That's great. I'm, I'm happy here. I can work with homeless people. I can look at kind of um, the issues facing people. But no, nothing around a kind of national role at all or, or becoming more involved in politics at that point. But then you found yourself uh, being called one way or another, big C or small C, um, back to Wales. Tell me how that happened. Yeah, that, there were two reasons. Um, one is that um, family reasons. My my dad had died, and my mum that started to become really ill with dementia. And we, we recognised as a family we needed to be closer to her. Uh, and also, I was selected for a seat um, in uh, Midwest. Uh, mid and west wales which was montgomeryshire again i felt that i wasn't going to be in national politics at all but i thought the two came together we decided to have a completely different life uh, change and i came back to wales and uh, yeah sort of uh, that's what happened at that point a mucky business with tim farron so we're talking about how to trust god with your future with jane dodds member of the welsh senate jane uh, the last couple of years have been rather tumultuous for, for everybody involved in, in politics. Uh, you were a parliamentary candidate in 2015 and 2017. And then in 2019, uh, there was a by-election in Brecon and Radnorshire um, because the sitting MP was, was recalled. Uh, you were working as a, as a social worker during that time. Um, you were involved in politics but weren't expecting things to happen quite as quickly as they did. Tell me a little bit about that time. Yeah, no, sure. So, yeah, you're right. I was a social worker. In fact, I was working uh, all over the world for for a, a Christian organisation. I was training in many different countries. I loved my job. It was a really interesting role. Um, and then um, this by-election kind of was called. Um, uh, and um, I, I was the uh, selected candidate, as you say, for, for Brecon and Radnorshire. And obviously, you'll know there are two stages to that. Firstly, there was the recall petition. Um, and we weren't sure we were going to be successful in that so that meant um, if, if we were successful that a by-election was called and then of course there was the by-election and whether uh, I would be successful in that so it was a, 
a five month roller coaster of uh, kind of, you know, juggling work um, and also um, campaigning and, and standing as well. A wonderful time, a, you know, great time. Um, but yes, still, you know, unsure that I was the person going to be going into national politics at that point as well. And of course, all this happened in a, a really quite remarkable time in British politics. You, you'll remember this, but for, for listeners, my recollection is that Theresa May had resigned as Conservative leader and Prime Minister. Boris Johnson had been elected and the Conservatives had gone from being not very popular to suddenly being quite popular again. And they were your main opponents. And so the dynamic of the whole by-election presumably changed from it looking like you were going to win very comfortably to, oh, goodness, we've got a fight on our hands. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It, it was, it was, uh, as I say, it was a roller coaster. Um, it was also the time of Brexit, and um, as you'll know, Liberal Democrats stood to remain in Europe. But I was campaigning in a Leave area. We had voted Leave here in Mid Wales. In fact, you know, across Wales, just marginally voted Leave. So it, it was by no means certain um, that that. Um, we would win um, and then to win um, as you say um, was an amazing experience an amazing event and an amazing gift and it was at the time of Brexit uh, which was a very tumultuous time uh, going into the Houses of Parliament uh, at that particular point in time. And so you found yourself in the House of Commons obviously again not immediately because there was a recess you were elected and then when, when were you introduced into Parliament? Was it, was it not until September? That's right. The 2nd of September, I was sworn in and, you know, I was accompanied by wonderful people like yourself, Tim, um, in being sworn in. And uh, yes, so I had this very strange period of being sworn in when almost everybody was in the chamber, um, which I believe is fairly unusual. So uh, lots of people were watching and there were lots of other events going on as well. So it was... It was an amazing time. It was it was like a really kind of Constantina concentrated time of a whirlwind. It was like in a washing machine. Sometimes I was going really fast uh, and I didn't really quite know what's happening, but an amazing time. And then I guess, I mean, from my own perspective, you, all those things happening, people listening will remember all these Labour and Conservative MPs um, crossing the floor to join the Liberal Democrats. There was votes every night. Some of them were literally a dead heat and the Speaker had to work out uh, what, what way he should vote, so how to use his casting vote. It was very tense. It was very exciting. And then we saw the election call. So, you know, having been an MP for, for really only a few weeks uh, in terms of being in the House of Commons, the general election gets called. Um, how did how do you during that time where your future is in the balance um or you've no time to look ahead really how do you rely on god how does your faith keep you sane yeah i think that's a really interesting question i think um being with other christians and praying with other christians particularly those in parliament was really important to me um just you know i i won't say i was always solid on this but it really is important to have the faith that God knows exactly what he's doing, even though, you know, he, he, he refines your goals and um, he really, you know, he really puts you through it, but he never puts you through it more than you can bear. And I always knew that, but it was hard. 
I mean, you'll know, Tim, it, it was incredibly tense. The emotions were tense. Mm -hmm. I felt sometimes as a woman really quite emotionally unsafe in the House of Commons because of the, the, the banter, the, you know, the pack kind of mentality. It, it was absolutely unusual, I think. And, and, you know, that's what people were telling me. But, but yeah, it's that sense that, you know, God is with you. And even though it's really hard, you just you just know he's with you and you hang on to that. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's probably what kept me going really. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you're right. I think it felt a very dangerous and unkind place. And I think you, if you don't mind me saying so, were one of those people who, who shone out by demonstrating your grace in all that you did and, and you, you said. So the election gets called. Um, uh, it doesn't go the way that you or I wanted uh, nationally. And having been an MP for you know half a year, you end up on the end, the wrong end of the result. I, I, awful thing to say, really. But how, how did that feel for you personally, and what happened for you next? So yeah, you're right. So yeah, the election was called in December. Um, uh, you know, it was it was never it was never going to be easy for me in a, a leave seat when it was all about get Brexit done. So yeah, losing that election on the 12th of December was a hard time. And, and it, it always feels harder when it's in winter and it's dark nights and it's, nothing's happening. Um, and again, just, just praying and knowing God had a plan. Um, one thing that was really hard was trying to get another job because mm. um, uh, nobody knew what to do with a former MP, particularly an MP who'd only been in parliament for five months or so. You know, it was a really strange sensation talking to people and they were like oh I'm not sure and so um but I, again I was so blessed a Christian friend um kind of said we, we need somebody to help us with some safeguarding and I, I got a job uh back in social work and, and so I was very very blessed in that respect and um yeah stayed in a social work role at, 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 in child protection uh and, until um a, a month or so ago mm. and so really only you know, a few weeks after the disappointment and um, and all the chaos of the 2019 general election you know uh, was settling the coronavirus comes along um campaigning in elections is somewhat restricted you find yourself top of the list um for the Welsh senate elections for um the constituency that you now represent the region you now represent how did you come about or how did it come about that you ended up on that list and the top of it so um, again, it, it was, I mean, I, looking back, I, I can absolutely see the hand of the Lord. But at the time, it was it was just really a kind of sense of, oh, I'm not sure what's going to happen here. There were lots of difficulties because of COVID, because of not meeting, because of lots of kind of, uh, you know, challenges. Um, Welsh politics um, it is always, you know, very different. We were seeing you know, the Labour Party doing exceptionally well here in terms of Mark Drakeford and his leadership throughout COVID. Um, and so, yeah, I, I ended up being top of the list, um, uh, which we have a different system here for the Welsh Parliament in that we have seats in the region, um, which are the list seats, which are PR seats uh, and seats which are, are pa first past the post constituency seats. So I was very blessed to be top of the list, but it was still, you know, not likely that we would get a seat really because because we knew Labour were very very popular here in Wales. 
And you feel, I mean, being on the Welsh Senate now for uh, for a month or so, uh, how, how different is it to the House of Commons? Oh, I better be careful what I say here. But, um, well, there's lots of, of differences because it's smaller. We've only got 60 members. Um, I think it's different because we're in a, a, a time of COVID. So I guess everybody's just focusing on, you know, kind of trying to work together to get things done. Um, there is more of a sense of people working, wanting to work together. Um, and because we're in a much smaller country, you know, Wales is, is uh, you know, three million people, 10 million sheep. We are uh, we are just really sort of a smaller country and be, be able perhaps to achieve more. So it, it's much different. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that makes a difference is that the parliamentary building itself is much is more is modern. Uh, we we sit in around, so there's not that sense of uh, which is what what it is in Parliament really in London. You know, against uh, people, it feels like you're against people. I agree. People think you know, the, the the kind of seating plan is rather an irrelevant thing. I think it, it it absolutely breeds the culture. You're quite right. Well, look, we're getting close to the end of our time, I'm afraid, Jane. But I just want to really just go back with you and reflect, uh, or ask you to reflect what your experience has taught you about trusting God with your future, about how we make plans for our future in the light of there being an almighty God. Yeah, I mean, it's just been astounding. And this may be still not be God's plan. I, I don't know. This, there, there may be other, other changes that God has for me, I'm sure. But if I look back, you know, the sense of elation in winning the 2019 by-election and then the sense of real disappointment and just wondering what was going on when I lost that by-election and then not able to get a job uh, and then um, thinking okay I'll stay in social work and that's fine um, and then winning this Senate seat uh, and, and knowing that God had that plan, um, you know, Psalm 139, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. He does. He just knows everything. Uh, and we forget that. We think we think we know it. We think we can plan. We think we have the resources to be able to source our lives out. Mm. And we don't. Amen. Jane, it's always an absolute blessing. I'm looking forward to seeing you in your new natural environment at some point and uh, visiting the, the assembly again. But for the time being, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. We'll see you again soon. Thank you, dear Marianne. Well, this is your chance to ask me anything about being a Christian in politics. It could be ethical, political, or dare I say, even personal. Well, this week, we've got a question from Andy in Reigate in Surrey. Tim, I listened to Prime Minister's Question Time on radio during lunch hour from time to time. The Prime Minister rarely answers the actual question, and the whole exercise seems to be about scoring political points. What value does it actually have? Andy, if I'm honest with you, I kind of share your cynicism about Prime Minister's question. It doesn't seem to ever really expose very much in terms of... Uh, Prime Minister's genuinely answering questions that they've been asked. And... Uh, over the years, it's worth bearing in mind that perhaps some of the most successful performers at Primus's Question have never really seen it do them any good politically. Neil Kinnock and William Hague are two of the best performers, dare I say it, uh, at Primus's Question. They still lost 
general elections and were not successful in their ultimate aim. So I do think that there's a, a series of questions asked, usually by the leader of the opposition, and dodged by the Prime Minister. And that happens, obviously, in the current um, uh, setup with uh, Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. But I'm afraid it's something that happens um, to a greater or lesser extent with every Prime Minister. But there is a purpose to Prime Minister's questions that I think is worth noting. Uh, the majority of people who ask questions are not leaders of parties, but backbenchers. And there's great value in asking a question for your constituency, particularly you do it in a constructive way. And I often listen to backbenchers on the government side or the opposition side, uh, who maybe have waited a year or so for their question, because you don't get them that often, you don't come out of the hat that often, and they either waste them on finger-wagging partisan point scoring or sycophancy towards their own front bench. And I think you waited that long for a question and you wasted it on that. Why didn't you ask about your local hospital or the post office or the situation of face facing businesses in the town centre in your community and ask a consensual question where the prime minister might give you a meeting or some kind of response that actually meant that it was worth you asking that question. So prime minister's questions is pointless but not for everybody. If you're wise and you use it for your constituents, it can have real value. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we come to the end of this week's programme, let's join together in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us this week that you are in control of all things. There may appear to be chaos. There isn't. You are utterly and totally in control. Um, but we pray for all those affected by this delayed ending of lockdown, um, those who are economically affected, those who are emotionally affected, those who are affected in, in other ways. We pray that you'd um, sustain them, provide for them and bless them. We pray for our leaders. We pray for Boris Johnson. We pray for Matt Hancock. We pray for all of the uh, the health advisors who are supporting the government. And we pray for them to have wisdom, that they make choices that are right and bring glory to your name. We pray for uh, our country. Uh, obviously, um, there has been this delay because of this Delta variant, because the virus has uh, started to uh, spread again and is causing some hospitalization so we just pray especially for people working in the health service what pressure they have been under this last uh, year and nearly a year and a half now and we just bring them before you and we thank you for them we pray you'd strengthen them through this time we pray that in your mercy you would turn back this virus uh, that you would liberate us from it and that you would strengthen uh, christians throughout this time to display grace and practical love and sacrifice in supporting their communities throughout this time. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, next week, we're going to be joined by Michael Weir. Michael Weir was President Barack Obama's faith advisor during his time as president in the White House. Until then, I'm Tim Farron. Thank you so much for listening. You can listen to the podcast of this programme online by searching for A Mucky Business. Don't forget, if you have any questions you'd like to put to Tim in a future show, email farron at premier.org.uk.